Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for for leading us through our lives. Many times in situations that we're overwhelmed by, and, and we praise you for being a God who delivers us and rescues us. We praise you for being a God who, who guides us, who gives us insight. And God, we pray that you would continue to bless us with wisdom from your Holy Spirit as we open up our hearts now to your, your word. We, we ask that you would help us to be people who are constantly searching for what it is you're calling us to do and to be as your children. We thank you for creating this world in such a way that we have an opportunity to partner with you in fixing what's broken and healing those who are broken. And we ask that you would help us to be caught up in that mission more and more each and every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as Keith mentioned uh, this morning during the welcome, this will be our last time, at least right now in this, this season of our church life, for us to focus on this idea of, of what does it mean to be everyday disciples in all of the places and in all of the tasks where we find ourselves at work. And we, we've talked about this idea of being repairs of the world, not on our own, but partnering with God, this, this ancient Jewish idea that no matter what our, our job might sound like in its title, that really, when we think about it as people of faith, it's caught up in this, this ongoing great work of God that, that these Jewish teachers through the centuries have called world repair, or the healing of the world, or the fixing of all that's broken, and, 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 and the healing of all the people who struggle to understand just how much God loves them, how much they are valued, how much they're worth. And it's not easy for us to always see our work this way. That's, that's been the, the central conviction of this, this message series, of the study. And that is that, that it's one thing to say this, it's another thing for us to actually experience our work this way. And so one of the, the primary themes throughout this series has been a really simple series of phrases that we've put together this way. It takes work to make your work a part of God's work, right? That it's, it's not automatic. It, it's not something like, like that, that more and more in our world we're finding, you know, self-driving cars. We, we can't have a self-driving discipleship, okay? We, we can't have a self-driven spiritual journey. You and I have to be fully engaged in being everyday disciples if we're going to become more and more like Jesus. And so, that's what I mean when I say it takes work. It takes focus. It takes imagination. It takes creativity. It takes over and over again choosing a, a spiritual perspective to see everything we do as having a place in all that God is doing. And I know this is a, a somewhat repetitive sentence, but I think in that way it could be something that maybe we all hold on to, that we, we carry within us in our memories and our hearts, that it takes work to make our work a part of God's work. It's, it's not that God can't use whatever you're doing, whether you're aware of it or not. God is more than capable of doing that. But if you and I are going to, to sustain our commitment 
to being the kinds of people God has called us to be. And whatever we do, we're going to have to experience this truth. We're going to have to see it for ourselves. And so we have to make that decision over and over and over again. And, and as we have, have thought about and focused on what does it mean to be people who invite God to shape and to empower our work, we have listened to four different members in our church family talk about their own experience of that. So a month ago, we, we listened to David Connors. He talked about the ways he sees God working through his experience of being a craftsman. And then we listened to Tim Townsend talk rather nonchalantly, I thought, about basically being a test pilot uh, to make sure that, that planes that we get on are in good working order. Uh, and then we talked uh, with Martha Tovar as she experiences and, and talks about the experiences of God working through the things that she's creating and making and sharing with other people. And then just last week, we listened to Leslie Andrews reflect, what does it mean to be someone who's the director of community services for our Abilene community? And how does she experience God in that role and in all of the places with all of the people whom she gets to serve alongside of? And one of the things you may notice in, in all of these different, uh, different tasks, different, different kinds of work, is that, that all of them, in various ways, well, they're, they're, not, they're not exactly jobs where it's easy every single day to clearly see and clearly experience the truth that God is a part of what's happening Right? It takes work. It takes focus. And I found in visiting with all four of, of these brothers and sisters in Christ that when I first reached out to them to say, would you, would you share a little bit about your experience of God being the foundation of your work? I mean, the first response I, I, I got from, from all four was, why would you want me to talk about that to the whole church? Right? And part of it is just a natural sense of humility. But I think once they got past the sense of nervousness or not knowing if they were the right person to talk about this, this from their own life experience, I think part of their, their hesitation was the fact that, that like all of us in the various things that we do, right? And we've talked over and over in this series. We're not just talking about a career. We're not just talking about people who are paid to do the work they do. We're not just talking about work that you do in an office. We're not just talking about work you do as an adult. We're talking about students as well. And So whether, whether or not we're paid for what we're doing or we've got an official title for what we're doing or whether or not our work task is, is homework or learning how to play a new instrument or, or doing things we never quite expected to do, whatever it is, it takes effort and focus and reflection to see how consistently that work is a part of what God is doing. And so we listen to these four people tell their stories. And one of the things that was such a deep and profound blessing to me is usually when I'm getting ready to do a, a sermon series, um, I'm spending a lot of quality time at the ACU library. Right, looking at all kinds of different books and, and all the newest stuff that helps me understand what's the current theological conversation about some topic that, that I feel like God is calling me to, to explore more and maybe to share more with you about. This, this time, instead of spending a, a ton of quality time at the ACU library, I found myself in a series of conversations with these people. Over meals, in my office, 
talking with them about, okay, how is it that you experience, how do you see God at work through your work? And here's, here's what I want to share with you. All of them started in one place of having an idea of how that might be true for them. And I watched as through our conversations and through them promising to think about how they wanted to express their own experience of God being at work through their work, I watched God bring them from where they were to a much deeper place of experiencing the truth that God not only was a part of their work, but that God is pleased with their work, that it honors him. I watched them shift from feeling like, maybe this was just something that at times they were just doing because they needed to pay the bills, to realizing that even in those kinds of moments, even in those kinds of days, God saw what they were doing, cares about what they're doing. And that changes the way all of us can think about our own work, right? That's not just true for them. It's true for all of us. We all have times where we get up and we go to the place that we call our workplace or we, we find ourselves caught up in tasks that are work tasks and we think, you know what? I'm just going to do this because I've agreed to do it or I'm just going to do it because I have to do it and I'm not really going to search for any deeper meaning than that. I just need to get through the day. All of us have those experiences. What we need to decide right now is that even though it sometimes feels like that's the only reason we're going to work, that's never the truest, deepest reason for why we go to work. We go to work to honor God, to please God, to keep our commitments, yes, not only to the people who we may have promised we're going to do this or that for, but to keep our promise as God's son or daughter to glorify and honor him in all that we do. Whether it's something that gets us excited to get out of the bed on a particular day or not, it is who we have promised to be as God's child. That we want to be a part of what God's doing. That we want to care about the things God cares about. And when God looks at our broken, shattered world from top to bottom, it makes him want to recommit himself to this great work of repairing everyone and everything again. The prophets of the Old Testament talk about this over and over again. And in fact, this idea of, of partnering with God and repairing what's broken, it, it really finds its expression in the Old Testament through the words of the prophets. And we talked about uh, five weeks ago now that, that one of the key verses, one of the key passages, that that idea of, of world repair, it comes from Isaiah 58 where, where he's talking about a future and he says there's a day that's coming when you will partner with God and rebuilding all that's been lost in this community and people will call you repairers of the breach, restorers of livable streets, right? Restorers of a community that people want to call home. But Isaiah 58 is not the only place where this idea of what does it mean for us to be a part of God's mission of repairing all that's been broken, what does that look like? Well, another prophet talks about it. Uh, and so if you've got your Bible, open up to Micah chapter 6. We're going to read together starting in verse 6. Micah 6, verse 6. And leading up to this moment, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, the, the prophet has been reminding the people here of, of all the ways they have failed to be who they promised to be. 
and that God has every right to utterly destroy them for their lack of obedience and faithfulness to what they've promised. And standing with the people, Micah asks this question in response to that. With what shall I approach the Lord and bow before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? Okay, now, now what, what Mike is asking here is, how much is the one true God, does he in any way resemble all of the false gods that surrounded the people of Israel who demanded these kinds of sacrifices in order to make up for people's failure to please them? Right? When he asks, should I give up my firstborn for, 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 for my own sake? He's, he's asking, is this God, is our God, is he going to respond to our mistakes and our failures the same way that all the other gods do? And this is the answer. He's told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. What does God want from you in response to you realizing how far you still have to go? to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. And this, this collection of, of three phrases here at the end, to do justice, to embrace faithful love, to walk humbly with God, this is at the heart of what it means to be people who truly find ways to live out our commitments to being the kinds of people and to doing the kinds of work we have promised to be and do as, as God's family. Now, these, these phrases are familiar to many of us, especially if we've grown up in church or, or if we've ever heard someone talk about what is it at the heart of, of the vision that God has for his people. What does he want from them? People often, teachers, preachers, go to Micah 6 to say, this is it, this is what matters more than anything else. And so one of the dangers is when we're familiar with words or phrases, we may think we've already understood them, and then we may also jump to the conclusion that because we understand them, we're living them out. But I've found in my life that that's not exactly how this works. And so what is the phrase, do justice? What, what, what's Micah talking about here? And, and I think it's really simple. I think all of this stuff, these ideas, are really simple. It's just we're going to have to figure out how to be practical in the ways that we apply them. Right? Do justice. Do, do whatever you can to lift up the least of these. Okay? And all that you do, especially when you find yourself focused and exerting effort, and expending energy, trying to accomplish something. Do whatever you can to lift up the least of these. That phrase, the least of these, comes directly to us from Matthew chapter 25, where starting in verse 31, Jesus is telling a parable about what matters most. What should you give your life to? When you think about your actions and your behaviors, he tells this story about the end of time. And he says that when it's all said and done, what God's really going to ask us is not how many Bible verses we managed to memorize or explain or how many sermons we might have preached or how many 
uh, Bible studies we might have led. Those aren't actually going to be the questions that Jesus asks us, that God asks us, right? The question is, when you saw people who were hungry, did you feed them? And when you saw people who were thirsty, did you give them something to drink? And when you saw people who were imprisoned, did you go and visit them? When you saw people who were sick, did you stop what you were doing in your busy life and help them understand that you wanted to take care of them? Did you, in other words, do whatever you could to lift up people who couldn't lift up themselves? And, and it's easy, again, for us to listen to a parable like the one Jesus shares in Matthew 25, and be convicted by it for a moment. And then decide, well, I'm really thankful for grace, because I'm probably not going to get around to those things, and it's going to be okay if I don't. That's not at all what kind of work the grace of God is trying to grow inside of us. Grace is not an excuse to settle for who we are right now. Grace is supposed to give us the confidence to try over and over and over again to grow into the people God says we can be, the people God believes we can be, even though we, we don't have enough faith to believe it ourselves. What does grace look like lived out in our lives? Well, it looks like feeding the hungry and giving the thirsty something to drink. It, it looks like lifting up people who, for whatever reasons, cannot lift up themselves. Now, I feel like in the workplace, this ends up happening in two primary ways, two, two primary opportunities, okay? And that is that, that there's probably some people in this room, however you find yourself working, um, it may just be you. And if it's just you working, I'll speak about that in just a moment. But for the vast majority of us, we work with other people, which means we work in some kind of system. And in our world, that usually means some kind of hierarchy, Right? There's folks at the top, there's folks in the middle, there's folks at the bottom. Uh, and, and, and the struggle that I think we have is we don't realize how difficult it can be to move through a system if we're the one in the system who has the most freedom to do what we want, uh, to, to kind of define our own job, to, to invest in the things we want to invest in, in our position, um, but if we find ourselves somewhere in that work system where we don't have any leverage to really define our own job or, or especially to move up in that system, well, then suddenly we realize how difficult it can be to feel stuck. When, when Jesus says that someone is the least of these, he's not saying they have the least value or worth. That can't possibly be what, what he means. He means they have the le least leverage to change anything. Specifically, the least leverage to change their own situation. No matter what they do, they're not going to be able to get where they're hoping to go. Right? And so in workplaces, this can often happen. And the question is, if you're somebody in that work system who has leverage to lift people up, use it that way. Don't decide that other people in the system just need to suddenly figure out how you did, how to crack the code and get where they need to get. If there's a way for you to use the power that God has given you to empower others, that's what God wants us to do with power. And this happens all the time, this opportunity. It, it opens up to us all the time in the workplace. I remember I told you at the beginning of the series, I kind of had two uh, jobs that were completely outside of professional ministry. My parents both wanted me to have that experience once I decided I was going to go into ministry. So I spent one summer working at an engineering firm that my mother worked at. I was 
basically the receptionist up front. They called me an intern, but I was not an intern. I just tried to be nice to people who came in the door and, and ran and got coffee and basically just tried not to, to make any mistakes and do anything that would embarrass my mom because I was only there for 12 weeks and she had to stay there forever, right? So she, she warned me, be careful with kind of how you treat everybody and make sure that you know how, you know how th- those kinds of conversations you have with your parents. And so I was trying my hardest to represent our family well. And I was there for two weeks and it didn't take but the first day to figure out how different people in that job were going to treat me based on my position, right? And almost all of them had the same job level. My phone is talking to me. Almost all of them had the same level, okay? They were all engineers. You basically had the CEO and, and one or two other people in administration. You had people like my mother who were, you know, working to support those engineers, and then you simply had a bunch of people working in their own offices on projects, and they were engineers. So quickly, I figured out going into their offices and asking them what they needed help with, how they were going to treat me. Some of them treated me uh, like I was somebody they were really interested in, and they wanted to know more about me, and they talked positively about my mother because they knew her. Others of them acted irritated. Anytime I got near them, I couldn't get their, their coffee order right. I couldn't make copies right. I couldn't do anything right. They were annoyed by me. Now, here's, here's the interesting part. Two weeks after I started, the CEO had been gone, and he came back, and he invited me in uh, for a conversation, and he said to me, "Uh, Jared, I I know your mom. I have a lot of respect for her. I know she's a hard worker. Um, I'm just really thankful that we were able to give you this opportunity. I want you to tell me how people have been treating you these last two weeks. And I want names. (laughs) And I'm thinking, my mom has to stay here forever. I don't. And so I told him, I don't think that's going to end up working out real well. And he said, okay, come with me. So he, he called a meeting. He gets all of them into a room. And he has me stand at the front of the room. And he says, this is Jared Robinson. He's Alpha's son. He's going to be working here this summer. I think you've all had the pleasure of getting to know him. I want you to treat him like he's my son. And if you haven't been treating him that way, here's your chance to start over. Everything changed overnight. (laughs) Right? He used his leverage to say, we're going to treat somebody who you don't have, you think you don't have to treat him with respect, Treat them with respect. Okay, now, here's the other side of this. And this is true whether you work with a bunch of other people or you work by yourself. The other question would be, how do you make sure that the job you're doing isn't just about leveraging people that, that are in the company but, or, or whoever you're working with? How would you work together to bless people outside of your company for the sake of the world? How do you help other groups of people or individuals, right? Same company. Week later. The number two in command invited me to go to lunch and said, hey, um, I know you're only here for a little while. I, I, I know a little bit about your mother, and I know that, that she has faith, and I know that, that your dad's a minister, and I just want to tell you something I'm really excited that we're starting to work on. We're partnering 
with, with groups of people in Africa to start working on water wells, and we're trying to find ways to do that at no cost to the communities that are there. And this isn't something that helps our bottom line. This isn't something that, that really a lot of people in the states are going to know a whole lot about. But I just want you to know that we don't just want to make, make money around here. We want to make the world a better place. And because you're somebody who would care about that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about our dream for that. Again, I'm only going to be there for 10 more weeks in the summer. And there are two people in this place that are deciding that they not only want within their, their culture of their work for people to be treated with dignity and respect and honor regardless of the title that, that they hold, but they want to use their, their resources in the, in the workplace to bless other people, to help other people who, who couldn't help themselves, right? So... I know that we don't all have the ability to dictate the culture and the places that we work, but I'm telling you, if you have an opportunity, wherever you are in your workplace, to call people back to lifting up the least of these, if we're going to follow in the example that Jesus has laid for us in everything we do, this has to be the beginning place. Okay, embrace faithful love is the next thing that, that he mentions, and and this is really simple. You know, do whatever you can to consistently help other people. And the key word here is consistently. Right? In Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, you guys want credit when you, when you do certain things um, for other people. You, you want credit even if you do nice things for folks who are already nice to you. And what credit is that to you? All people are nice to people who are nice to them first. But I tell you, if you're going to be my everyday disciples, my everyday followers, you need to be good to people who aren't good to you. You need to be like your heavenly father who treats all people with love and respect regardless. All right, so the, the key here is not just helping people. That's wrapped up in this idea of doing justice. It's, it's consistent, embracing faithful, dependable love. Being somebody who, over and over and again, chooses, I'm not going to simply respond the way I feel. I'm going to respond to a situation based on who God says I am. And God says that I am somebody who is a living expression of love. Okay, now, help may not always feel like being nice no matter what. Sometimes I think we, we have redefined love into being nice and polite, even if an injustice or something is happening in a workplace that shouldn't be happening. Sometimes the best way we can love somebody, the best way we can help somebody, is in, in a way that, that actually gets through to them, in a way that still shows them respect and honor. We speak a truth to them that maybe they don't want to hear. There's ways to do that. We've all had moments in our lives where people have reached us and spoken truth to us, even though it, it hurt to hear that truth. If we're going to be people who in our, our workplace represent the values of God's kingdom, we're going to have to find ways to be helpful consistently, even if it costs us when we try to intervene and help. Okay, and finally... He says that we need to walk humbly with, with our God, right? Do, do whatever we can to be aware of the presence of God. When I, when I got to be about 
oh, 16 years old, you know, driving for myself for the first time in California. My dad started saying something to me every time before I left the house with the car. It became my least favorite quote of growing up. I'd be ready to leave the house, and he would say, don't do anything you'd be embarrassed caught doing when Jesus comes back again. Because you know it could happen at any time. I, I would hear, I, there's times I still have dreams where I hear my dad yelling that at me while I'm walking out the door. Don't do anything that you'd be embarrassed, interrupted doing when Jesus comes back, right? This idea that you need to be aware. Um, and as much as my dad was trying to warn me, the reality is we, we have this knack for ignoring the, real, the, the truth. It's not just when Jesus comes back that we need to be aware of God's presence. God's with you everywhere you go, everything you're doing, every interaction you have. Whether you invite God with you or not, God is with you. And so the question is, not so much some sort of divine sacred surveillance. God, I don't really believe that God is watching you to see you make a mistake and then and then hold you accountable for every single moment you, you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do and beat you up with the memories of that. That's not God's posture towards us at all. The reality, though, is God is with every phone call, every conversation, every interaction. God is present. And the reminder here from, from Micah is not simply that God is present, but that God is your king, Right? You walk humbly with your God. And so you're not the one who gets to decide what matters most. You're not the one who gets to decide um, how you're supposed to talk to people who are frustrating or annoying. That's already been decided. The, the only real decision you have left to make is, are you going to live that way or not? The ways that you promised to live as, as a follower of Christ. God is with us. And, and here's another thing that I want to I make clear. Right, One of the, the foundations of this series comes from Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says, look, whatever you do, you know, understand that you're, you're not just working for the people who ask you to work, you're really working for Jesus Christ. But I think, I think it's more than just that statement. I think what Paul would say is, and you're not just working for Jesus Christ, you're working with him. That he's with you, that... That every time you serve, he's serving alongside of you. And that's got to change our sense of, of empowerment. That's got to change our sense at times of despair when you feel like, look, I've, I've moved this boulder up this hill over and over and over again in this particular job, and I don't think I can do it anymore. Jesus is right beside you, serving, working, helping. You're never alone. You're never alone, and, and there should be a sense that then I want to be obedient because God's with me and I promised it, but it should also give us strength and courage because he is always with us and he is always for us. Now, we're almost done, uh, but I want, to, I want to give one warning, one, one caveat when it comes to, to all of this, right? This is our, our job description. We've talked about it as everyday disciples. We're going to summarize it. Here's the role work should play in your life. Here's the, the core tasks. Whatever else your job description says of the place you work, this is how God sees your job description. But, but the warning, the caveat I want to give you is our world has often, and especially our culture, has turned work 
into something that's even more important than it should be. It's vital. It's central. It's important. But it's not nearly as important as sometimes our culture can, can lead us to believe. Right? So I, I want us to think about three statements. The first is that God wants work to bless your life. And that your work should bless the lives of others. But here's the warning. Your work cannot be your life. Hey, and this is, this is something that more and more as you, as you read sociologists and people who are studying our culture, the warning they're giving is, we developed a religion, a faith, that we never called it that, but now they're giving it a name. It's called workism. And it's the idea that your ultimate meaning and purpose in life is how well you do your job and how much you are able to accomplish at your job. That that utterly defines you. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, work is something that we're supposed to do with God. Work is at times things we understand we're doing for God, but work cannot be your God. And if it becomes that, you will find yourself with no boundaries from work, with no Sabbath, true Sabbath or rest in your life, and you will feel as valuable as the deals you're able to close or the accomplishments you're able to, to succeed in fulfilling, and you will start to think that you are completely and utterly tied to your job for what matters most in this life. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we don't see it as idolatry, but that's what it is. We've got to make sure that God is always the reason for our work. That God is the, the way that our work is going to ultimately matter or have purpose, and it's not the work itself. Because it can't carry that kind of weight in your life. It cannot give you that sense of value and worth that you, you and I are so desperately constantly trying to seek. The only thing that can and should be your life is Jesus. It's Jesus. So, as we close this study, I want you to live with this reverberating in your heart, this idea, this conviction, that it takes work to make your work a part of God's work, right? That it, it's going to take your focus, it's going to take your attention, it's going to take your imagination, it's going to take an ongoing experience of, of this reality for it to start to really sink in. But I want you to carry this, this central conviction with you. How you see things directly impacts how you experience them. And how you experience them directly impacts whether or not you're going to continue to be able to be who you want to be. Who you've promised to be. What, the, the kind of person grace empowers you to be. Every time you find yourself in a moment of, of effort or work or focus, dedicate it to God. Give it over, hand it over to, to your heavenly Father and ask for him to do far more with it than you could ever do on your own. And when it feels like you're barely holding on, reach out to find the truth that God is with you wherever it is, whatever you're doing, how mundane it feels, how, how purposeless it may seem to be. Jesus is with you. And he's the one who you're trying to serve. He's the one you're honoring and the amazing thing about Jesus is it is in the act of, of us honoring him that he gives us true honor ourselves. 
We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our our shepherds will be standing at various places throughout this room. Uh, I actually, I'm back five months ago. They're going to be in the lobby. Uh, We changed that um, so that you can have a a more quiet place to pray and talk. So any of these these main doors, that's where they're going to be. Um, They're there to be community for you. They're there to talk with you. They're there uh, to walk beside you. And so if you came this morning with any concerns at all, if you have any questions about our church family, please go to them out in our lobby as together we stand and sing.